everyone, I'm Sam. My name's Evan. And we're the three college idiots guest hosting the Safety Podcast. I cannot believe they're letting us do this. They have no idea the mistake that... <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm about to lay down a diss track on you, so... <laughs> oh, so today we're getting to talk about uh, moving into college dorms. Um, kind of perfect for considering, I think, moving start next next week? Yeah, they're Something coming like up that? pretty quick. Yeah, no. So the first day you're moving into your new dorm, very exciting, very nerve-wracking, but we're just going to go over all the different things the first time you live in a dorm, what you are to expect during moving day, and everything that follows that. Yeah, so I guess first is, well, so move-in day. Move-in day, I remember, it was spread out more for us because it was COVID day. Like We had like three weeks of move-in days, but I still remember it was just chaos. Like there was still like you couldn't get a cart to bring stuff in, and so we ended up just carrying. I was on like the night, I was ninth floor, so we ended up just carrying most of our stuff up the stairs because you couldn't get an elevator. I was exhausted, it was a workout, but it was honestly moving day was probably one of my most memorable days because I mean, it was kind of like saying bye to your parents for the first time, like I'm not gonna see them for a couple months, yada yada. But I don't know how you felt about it, but I was freaking out. Yeah, no, I was devastated. My move-in day was a specific day. I actually went to college a bit earlier because I did a summer course. And so I got to move in without all the crowds, which was very nice. If you want to get a couple credits ahead and also want to move in when it's not too busy, check that out. See if your college does that because I really recommend. Yeah, no, move-in day is crazy. There's a lot of emotions. I feel like colleges kind of try to keep you busy during that time so you don't have to think about, oh, yeah, my parents are going to be leaving and I, yeah, I'm going to sleep in a different bed and I'm going to sleep in a room with someone I barely met. Yeah, no, I remember move-in day as a busy, sweaty mess from moving everything to my dad being upset about having to put together like a cart or a table for me and then my mom and I trying to get everything in the closet <laughs> and I packed everything already on the hangers and threw them in a trash bag so I could already just hang them up which pro moving hack by the way guys there's one thing I want to say about move-in day and it is make sure you know about the parking rules because a lot of people think that campuses will be lenient on them because, hey, everyone's moving in, you can park anywhere. No, they will have their cops patrolling and ticketing you if you park in the wrong area. I can't remember. I think the biggest thing is if you have friends that go there already, and depending if you're moving on a weekend or whatever, I know IU, there are certain spots you can park in on the weekends. Or like it's Friday after five until Sunday at five. You can park in these spots without a parking pass. But and one thing, it was I remember a lot of people always talking about, yeah, I want to bring my car down or whatever. Yeah, whatever. First of all, good luck. If you can find a way to get a car down there, good for you. But it was like my freshman year, it was like 350 bucks a semester for a parking pass. Like, if you can swing that, good for you. But honestly, even with the size of campus at IU, I I don't know. 
I put my walking legs on. <laughs> it's not like you can drive to class anyway. The only reason that you would need it is to drive to the store. And when you're living in a dorm, it's not going to matter anyway. Yeah, no. I was honestly thinking more of like getting around. Oh my gosh, during move-in week. I mean, think about it. You got all the parents that have been up since like 5 a.m. They're saying goodbye to their kid and they are not that happy. And I don't know if you've seen a dad who's been up since 5 a.m. trying to weave his way through traffic, but trying to drive <laughs> when those are the drivers around. I try to stay off the road when move-in day is happening because a lot of the parents do not know any of the roads. Where I go to college at IU in Bloomington, we got a lot of one-way roads. And I've seen many, many people during move-in day drive the wrong way and almost cause an accident. So yeah, just make sure you're also following the rules of the road. And students, make sure that your parents know what's going on, even though it's a bit hard for you to know what's going on. Now, personally, I prefer to just get popcorn and find the nearest intersection and watch the fireworks. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's but hard to look One thing away. that everybody talks about too. One question that everybody asks is putting stuff on walls, and I think it depends on where you're at too. I I also go to IU, and I in my dorm the walls were concrete, like they were like painted cinder blocks but in my buddy's dorm they were like drywall they were like like this real like some weird kind of thick drywall and he was taking using like command hooks and stuff and like all stuff that they say is like yeah oh. you, that's what you should use and they also tell you sometimes not to use those because they damage the walls yeah so we found out that the hard way fast forward to the spring and we're all moving out and we're kind of his dorm was kind of the place that we always kind of gathered at it was central location and so it was kind of middle of everybody and we were sitting in there and helping him take stuff down or whatever and we start taking off the command hooks and every single one the paint went with and we were like oh no oh, oh no that's so, gonna be like nine hundred dollars <laughs> Yeah, we were like, they're just going to hit us. They're just going to throw the book at us. They're going to hit everything they can to our buddy. So naturally, you've got uh, four college dudes sitting in a room trying to figure out this problem. And what we end up, we always, we're kind of Googling stuff, whatever. And they're all like, oh, yeah, just use white toothpaste, whatever. But like his walls were the landlord special. It was like that off <laughs> eggshell yellow that like you could not find anywhere. So, Using what we had, we one of us had the brilliant idea to go downstairs to the shop and we bought ramen. No. And we took the seasoning of the ramen packet and we mixed it with toothpaste and we matched it exactly to the paint. And uh, we're putting up, put it on the walls and you couldn't even tell. It was it was a miracle. We left and he never got a charge. So it, we did not care. For all I know, probably the humidity got above. Oh. Uh, it's above 80%. It's probably starts smelling like mint in there. But mint and chicken. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But hey, it worked. It it was beautiful. But be careful with command hooks. A and I know some of them, some dorms say don't take them off. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. don't take them off. Just leave them on. If, listen, <laughs> listen, because then they're responsible for it if the paint comes off of it because you didn't do it. But <laughs> I guess that's one thing to look into to see what they say about command hooks, what to use, whatever. You can't, some people say that they'll just use safety pins or whatever, or like a push pins. Oh. Good luck putting a push pin in a cinder blocks. Uh, true, true. That ain't uh, happening. But so, lesson uh, of the story don't put lesson. things on your wall unless you have toothpaste and ramen, basically. <laughs> what else? Um, Ooh, I, I don't know cards. how your freshman year went, but sharing showers. Not having like a shower in your house, you know, you just walk to, having to bring your clothes with you, a caddy with all your stuff. And please, everyone, if you don't hear anything else from this podcast, please hear this. Wear shower shoes because I doubt that they have cleaned those showers in like years. All right. You ready for this? I don't know. You're going to, you're going to, I'm glad I'm not person because I think you'd throw the microphone at me. So we, <laughs> I was in forest, so we had like the semi-private ones where like it was like the pods. Mm -hmm. You walk in, you shut the door, lock the door, there's a toilet sink, shower. And because it was COVID, it was assigned to specific people. So it was assigned to four of us. And I knew all the dudes, those dudes really well. It was half and half, half girls, half dudes in terms of the floor wings. So we only shared it with dudes. And I don't think I saw... They they would they cleaned it daily and we could smell it because it always smelled like bleach. But I don't think I saw a single shower shoe on a single dude on our floor. Oh ew. <laughs> wait. Wait. Does that include you? It included me. Oh ew. Yeah, I ah. would have I would have thrown a microphone at you. Nasty. Yeah, it was it was gnarly. But I mean, and it didn't really feel gross like i never felt like it they were clean honestly they i mean they were i felt pretty good about them i, I was impressed i mean the weekends by the time they, they wouldn't clean it saturday <laughs> sunday so by like sunday night it was a little sketch but they uh but monday through friday they were good man they were good but uh, biggest problem was honestly having to wait for people when everybody yeah. showered at the exact same time Playing around that, we had to learn to basically like, we had a group chat and we would text, like, <laughs> hey, hey, I've got like a interview at five o'clock. I'm going to be in the shower at four or whatever. So like, it's like you were really in a rush. You would send like had something time pressing. You would send a text, but it wasn't too bad. <laughs> coexisting. Oh, talking about coexisting. That is one thing that I was not ready for with the sharing the bathroom situation. Just cause you know, you run into people who have, like you said, different routines from you. My freshman year, I walked into the bathroom and for most of the year, this one girl, I shared a bathroom that had like two stalls and two showers with about half the floor of girls. And there was one girl that would FaceTime people 24 seven when she was in the bathroom. I would hear her when I went in to wash my face in the morning in the shower on FaceTime. And I would come in when she was washing her face and she'd be on FaceTime. So I'd just pass behind and the person on FaceTime would just see me. And I was so 
Right? Okay. Evan Evan also has a surprise face, so I don't feel that what? crazy. <laughs> right? Okay. Not only is that just weird and like uncomfortable, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Yeah, it seems a bit sketchy. Like that's like phones in locker rooms. Like you can't have a camera out in a locker room. Yeah, it was. And I just kind of, I talked with a couple other people about it and they were like, yeah, that's weird, but she doesn't really ever get off FaceTime. So she just, she's just made it a part of her day. And I was like, okay. But yeah, no, it, it brought me to the conclusion pretty early in college that you are living with people who like, you were raised completely different. You have no idea how they function. And yeah, it can be very different from how you function. I don't know. I don't think I'd ever FaceTime someone in the bathroom. That is appalling but... behavior. <laughs> that That's like, that is horrific. I, I don't even like, it was like one of like the co big communal bathrooms, right? It was a communal bathroom, yes. <laughs> Somebody put her in a mental hospital. That is... Locked uh, that, away. Uh, that, that is horrible. <laughs> Locked um, away. Yeah, no, but... Is it always like the same? Was it like her mom or something at least? Or was it different every time? It was her boyfriend. <laughs> so it was a dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. Might as well just bring him in. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, oh like God. you said, you adapt your schedules once you learn. And you basically, if you do it well enough, you kind of get a private bathroom to yourself if you can, you know, organize that schedule. So I was able to do that. And I luckily was never the background video for those FaceTimes after like the first semester but yeah no that one bathroom it was a mess we had the drains and the showers wouldn't work so it would just overflow so you'd walk into the bathroom and like be like a foot full of water that you just wade into you know like creek that's stomping that's nasty oh it was so fun that's bad Which, i would have worn shower shoes in that <laughs> yeah uh-huh yeah so that's one thing that you guys would probably want to know before moving into a dorm once you get there just be familiar with how to contact emergency maintenance usually they post it somewhere in a common area in your dorm i know that our bathrooms and our doors in our dorms actually had the number posted but yeah, you really don't want to be taking a shower at like 1 a.m. after you got back from a lab or something and the drain just doesn't work. So yeah, just call them up. Usually they can get there pretty quick. But I know a lot of bathrooms in another dorm on campus had problems with toilet overflowing and backing up and people wouldn't call. That's horrible. Yeah. Forrest had gotten pretty recently renovated when I lived in it. Like it was not the most newly renovated dorm, but like, I want to say like it was renovated in like 2014 or something. Everything was pretty fine. We didn't have any issues. We weren't one of the mold dorms and <laughs> it was honestly, I had very little complaints, but one thing I would say to anybody, whether it doesn't matter what kind of dorm you're living in, if you're like, if you're just have a, your own private dorm and you just share a bathroom or if you like you're in a triple or if you're in a double like whatever you are be friends with not only your roommates but everyone on that floor the more people you get to know on that floor the better like you don't have to be their best friends but so like i was saying earlier my floor were kind of made of v 
picture it like a V and the right side of the V was all dudes and the left side of the V was all girls. And so like you could easily walk from side to side. The bathroom kind of connected the V in the middle. So I guess it was an A. But the girls were Letters constantly. Yeah, it's, I've been working on it. They, <laughs> um, The girls were constantly fighting. All of them. Really? It was actually like pretty bad. It was always stupid stuff. I couldn't even tell you what it was because it wasn't like something that she actually deserved to be fighting over. It was like people were bored and starting crap. Meanwhile, the dudes on our side had a mini golf tournament. <laughs> each room was a hole that each person had to design. And that might have been the most fun we've ever had. Honestly, I haven't talked to any of those guys since I moved out. But you're stuck with them, all those people. You can't do anything about it. The rumors of, I'll just switch dorms if it's so bad, that is impossible. Almost like you have to get like physically assaulted by that person or something to actually switch dorms. But so just make the best of it. Don't start crap. Have fun. Start a mini golf tournament. So I actually lived in an all-girls dorm. So the two floors that I was on were all girls. And if any girls are listening, you know that there's like the little cliques and everything. And not everyone gets along all the time. But I will say, as long as you have just that you went in and you wanted to be friends with people. It just, it goes better, I will say. And it kind of takes the stress out of knowing people on campus because at least the people that you live with, you know. So if you want to go out to get food, you can walk with each other to go get food. And I will say in cases of like thunderstorms or earthquakes or stuff like that, you can band together. We had quite a bit of occasions my freshman and my sophomore year when we were living in a dorm that we had storms that would get all the power out on campus and we would just all huddle together. A whole floor would huddle together and usually my room around like a candle or a flashlight. Shout out to my dad for making me grab a huge flashlight and keep it with me in my dorm. And I was like, I'm never gonna use this. It came in handy. But yeah, it's nice to have people with you. It also helps during those situations to like know where you're going. Hey, maybe look into that when you move into your dorm. Know the exits of your building. Know where to take shelter. Stuff like that is just really crucial information. It's so funny. When we lost, <laughs> you guys lost power, you guys were sitting in a campfire roasting s'mores. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got 15 dudes and we lost power. And we next thing I knew, we're in the lobby of our floor planning a heist. Like no. we were bored. So we took the whiteboard and we started planning how we were going to rob the Bellagio. Oh, my gosh. And I think we could pull it off. That's so funny. We took mattresses <laughs> from everyone's bed and we just pulled them onto the floor. Everyone sat on a mattress, huddled in blankets and just we just talked, you know. But yeah, so That's going fun, back to knowing things on campus, basically, you want to know things just so you can keep safe at all times. One of the big things I would say is definitely have any safety contact information put in your phone. One thing I did that I'm really glad I did was when I moved in, I put campus police in my phone, in my contacts, as well as 
the RA of my dorm. There are some dorms that you may not go to the RA, you may go to like a floor leader or something, and that's totally fine. Put that number in your phone, make sure you have that with you just in case. And I know a lot of campuses actually offer safety apps and that's just pretty crucial to have, especially if you're walking home from classes late or, you know, it always gets really dark in the winter time and maybe you weren't thinking it was gonna get that dark and then next thing you know, it's like pitch black and you're walking home. A lot of these apps also offer like alerts that they send to your phone. We actually were talking about this during our Sewerman episode. Shout out to Three College Idiots, a really good one. But how every student just got a text message on their phone that, hey, there's a man in the sewer. And maybe you guys shouldn't go near those buildings. But yeah. Do you have any of those apps on your phone, Evan? I, I don't. I don't know if IU offers it. I know UK offers it there's a couple of schools at me purdue but um they'll offer basically like buddy walk programs whatever like and it's usually run by volunteer organizations or whatever basically you call some number and someone will either come pick you up in a golf cart <laughs> or like just walk with you or something and just walk you home and i think that's a really great idea yeah and in terms of like emergency contacts and stuff like that one thing i did Thank God I haven't had to use it yet. So I had like my mom, right? But then I also was thinking, okay, my mom is an hour and a half away, which like there's only so much she can do. Like if I really need someone there at a certain time, she's not gonna be able to get there. So I actually set up another one and I set it up as someone that wasn't my best friend. It was just someone like I, I knew pretty well and I trusted them. And I were like one of my childhood friends. And... I set them up as a emergency contact and because I knew that if I needed the emergency contact to call and I knew that that person could get a hold of them if they needed to and they were nearby and it was just someone else to have in Bloomington and I recommend that to other people too. That's a really good idea. I've honestly never thought of that until recently when we were thinking about this podcast of, like you said, parents live like an hour, an hour, half away if something happens and they can't get there in time or if something happens and they're not contacted, who can I get to contact them? Having someone who is with you, you know, when you're living your everyday life at college, who you trust to get you to safety or to get information to your loved ones. That's a really good idea. I like that. So talking about setting up like an emergency contact information on your phone. So we actually have the safety blog. There's actually really cool information that's gonna be on that. And we actually have a podcast episode coming up where we're gonna actually talk about a story about how someone having emergency contact information in their phone actually was extremely beneficial for them when they came to the hospital. So one thing, at least in, it depends what dorm you're in, but for me, I had my key card to get into my dorm was my ID. Some other people had physical keys, but majority of IU, I know for a fact is you use your ID card. Yeah, I believe um, a lot of bigger universities have switched to fully ID cards just because they're easier? Yeah, and I still keep mine in the back of my phone. 
just out of habit, whatever. It's how you get to the gym and whatnot. That was something I started doing because I'm going to bring my phone everywhere with me. And I forget my wallet a lot. And I actually, I never got locked out. Well, I didn't get locked out because I forgot my wallet. I got locked out because my key card got wiped. I couldn't get into my dorm. And my roommate was gone for the weekend. And for some reason, I had my key card, but I left my phone in in my dorm room. I couldn't use the app to unlock my door. There's no way I could get into my dorm. And of course, this happens not at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. It happens at like 12 o'clock at night and it's Friday. So there's no one anywhere. Like, like there, I, I was locked out. I had to sleep on the floor oh. in my friend's place until an RA got there the next day to give me a temp card. But if that happens to you, IU, I know, has an app on your phone that you can use and it will unlock your door. Yes, mobile um, ID is a lifesaver. It has saved me quite a couple of times, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it didn't work great. It was like it, whenever I had to rely on it, I would never rely on that thing 100%. Yeah, it was like a 50-50. You usually would have to turn your Wi-Fi off and then turn off your phone and then turn your Wi-Fi back on and then go in the app. Again, I learned that through practice and a lot of just banging on my door until my roommate woke up to let me in. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that app, while it was sketchy, saved a lot of people's butts. Oh, yeah. Like that was brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Keep your key card on you at all times. One thing that I didn't know, which I learned very quick, not because of me, but you need your key card in a lot of places to get into the bathrooms or to get into the elevators and make the elevators go. I actually had started my first week on campus and I was going to these classes during the summer and I get this text from a girl who lived in my dorm on GroupMe. And if anyone here knows GroupMe, you're like really confused to get a text on there because you're like, this is supposed to be about classes. And it was this quick text saying, hey, I think we live in the same dorm. I'm locked in the elevator. I don't have my key card. The doors won't open and it won't go to another floor. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have no idea who this woman is. I've never met her. I feel so bad for her. So I like ran to the elevator with another one of my friends and we're pushing the button and everything. We get her out and she goes, so apparently you need your key card for the elevator to move to floors. And we did have a pretty awful elevator in the storm. But um, anytime the doors would close and you didn't scan your key card, they would just close. They wouldn't reopen. So you kind of were just stuck there waiting around till someone else needed to use the elevator. But I don't know if you had this. We always had to have a key to the bathroom too. Really? Yeah. So, you know, you're getting ready for your shower. You get everything, the towel, your caddy with all of your toiletries, your soaps, everything, and your change of clothes. Don't forget a change of clothes. <laughs> and then the one thing you forget is your key. So you get into the bathroom or something. You don't get into the bathroom. Your door is already locked and you're standing in the hallway in a towel. Or you take a shower and you realize you forgot all of your clothes and you don't have a key card to get into your room. So... That's always really fun to walk through the hallway <laughs> in a towel. Uh. 
I can't believe you guys had to tap into your bathroom. We didn't have that. I wonder if it has something to do with like the fact that you had communal bathrooms. Yeah. And so like you keep track of who was in there when. And we just had the private pods that they knew who belonged to. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. It was crazy. But I have to say, I'm very glad we had those key cards because we had to use those to get into like any doors into the actual dorm. And I'm sure you did too. A lot of people actually couldn't get into the doors to our dorm even during the day, which I don't know. I think it was different with Forest, right? You could get into the front doors without tapping in. But the elevator was the same. You had to tap to get to your floor. But you could get to the first floor without, like, you could get out without having a key card, but you couldn't get in, which I cannot believe that you could not get out of the elevator. That's got to be a fire hazard or something. Yeah, our elevator. Like, that is, that's bad. <laughs> it was messed up. I remember it being closed, like, it was actually in repairs for one of the move-out days at the end of the year. Everyone was not happy about that. But yeah, no, I am happy about that. The like key story because it makes you think like, I don't know who could wander in to the dorm like at any time of the day. We sadly had my freshman year quite a bit of drills where we had intruders. I guess I say drills, but we actually had people who would peer into the windows of my dorm. And we had to go like on lockdown multiple times because there were suspicious people trying to get into our dorm, which is crazy. We, yeah. In Forest, it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to follow you in. Oh. And usually what would happen, though, is, I mean, they're usually homeless. And it was usually either pouring rain or it was freezing cold outside. And they would just follow you in. And then there was like a bunch of couches to like the left or the right, depending on which side you were on. And they would go over there and they'd sleep. But like you said, there's definitely been issues. But I had a friend who lived somewhere else and they had problems of getting followed up the elevators. Yeah. And to the point where people were trying to open up doors and see which ones were unlocked. They would just go around and see what they could find. Or if they could find a maintenance closet, like they had problems where there was people sleeping in the maintenance closets. Yeah, we had a couple weeks where our kitchens, the kitchens for the floor, we had communal kitchens. They were really nice, but they had to be locked because we yeah. had people who would get in, probably friends of the people living there, but they would get in and ransack the kitchen and like stole people's cooking utensils that they kept there. Yeah, no, it was... Pretty scary. Freshman year, I don't think I ever would have told someone who was following me in to like, please don't follow me in. Do you live here? Sophomore year, I feel like I kind of, was it just a bit more scared? I held a position on campus through their student government. So I was like, I kind of should say something probably. So there were a lot of times that I kind of got on people's bad sides because I'd like turn around and I'd be like, who are you? Do you live here? And they would be like, no, my friend leaves here. And I'll be like, okay, let them come get you. Again, I also lived on like girls only floor. And we've had multiple times where people were trying to get in. So I just kept that in my mind. And a lot of the times it was late at night. And if your friend's not going to come get you, then they don't want you to be there late at night. 
No, it's crazy. We had one story from a move-in day, actually, where someone let a guy from campus, I think he was a student, they let him in to the floor when people were moving in. And he just tried every door to see which one was unlocked. And one was unlocked. And he went in there, sat on the bed, and just waited for whoever the person was to start moving in. And so, yeah, this girl showed up to move in with her family. You show up with like your mom and dad in tow and little brother forced to carry all this stuff. And just a college student just sitting on your bed waiting for you to be there. That's bad. (laughs) Yeah. And again, people didn't even know. They were just thinking, hey, this student's moving in. He did not live in the dorm. Just wanted to see who was moving in, I guess. But real question, Evan. Yeah. When you are sleeping in your bed and it is 3 a.m. and the fire alarm goes off, do you get up because you're thinking it's true? Okay. That's good. Well, it depends. I shouldn't say it depends. It, now, how quickly I moved? Now, now, I would take my time. I would put my shoes on, my winter coat. I mean, there was one time it was real deal. There was a couple of times that it wasn't just someone had pulled it or something. But we actually had a kitchen catch on fire. And I walked outside and there was smoke. And I'm like, oh. And, and I knew that there was people who were going to skip it. We started yelling fire. Like, there's actually a fire. This is real. And then, of course, you see people like get confused and walk out like, oh, shoot. All right, let's go. And, of course, we're on the ninth floor. So we're just walking in circles and we're getting dizzy. It's also illegal. If they see you in there or like a fireman sees yes. you in there. Not that the fireman will snitch, but if a cop's in there, uh, it's a ticket. Yes. And even if it's a drill, EMS usually responds on campus and they will have to do a sweep of the building. But if you follow the fire alarms, you don't ignore them, you get out, you're safe no matter what. And even if it's a drill, you're safe, you know what you're doing at least, practicing. Yeah, so when you move in, know how to exit your building. Sadly, there was a case in Kentucky where a college student didn't know how to get out of the building during a fire alarm and he sadly passed away. And we don't want this happening to anyone else. If you just moved in and You have to run back down to the car for something you left. Maybe you forgot your pillow in the car. Maybe take a look at the map and take the way down that you're supposed to go for a fire alarm. Just so you got it in your mind. Yeah, I know how exhausting it is. You're laying in bed and it goes off and it's loud and you just want to lay in bed because you just went to like seven hours of classes that day. But yeah, don't ignore it. Get out of the building. Definitely try to make sure your friends get out of the building if they're just sitting in the hallway. I know I've had those where I pass them in the hallway and they're studying for a calculus test because I guess calculus means more to them. But yeah, make sure that they follow you out, okay? Hey guys, we're going to switch gears and I wanted to introduce two guests on our podcast, Clark and Mary Ellen Jacobs. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So, Clark, uh, I understand that you had a pretty terrible accident your sophomore year at college. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, so I took a few wrong turns in my sleep one night and rolled on my bed, landed on my head, ended up having a brain drain stroke. And there's a lot more to say about that, but that's, that's, that's what started the whole thing. Wow, I'm sorry to hear you had to go through that. So after that happened, what was your rehab journey like? 
uh, long and difficult and arduous doesn't even begin to cover it. I'm extremely thankful for Shepherd Center because they are absolutely incredible, but it was the most difficult thing that I'll ever do in my life, at least physically and mentally. The whole thing was physical therapy to relearn the most basic things in life, things as basic as walking, talking, and swallowing because I, I lost muscle memory to do all those things because the stroke was on my cerebellum, which is where muscle memory is restored. And I had to relearn to do everything all over again from square one. And it was, I mean, I, there aren't words to describe it. Wow, I'm sorry. Do you have any long-lasting effects from that trauma? The lasting effects these days are more minor. As you can probably tell, I, I still have trouble speaking clearly, and I often talk too fast to where I'm hard to understand. And more prevalently, I, I have some short-term memory issues, and occasionally some fatigue, but not not really that bad. And the coordination on the left side of my body is still very impaired. Well, my coordination overall, but especially on my left side, because the struggles on the right side of my brain. I just want to say that you're such a strong person, um, and I really want to ask, how do you feel now about bed rails before the fall and after the fall? So if I were to have been asked about bed rails before the fall, I would have laughed in your face, like, are you kidding me? I'm not a freaking toddler falling on my bunk bed at home. Like, are you serious? But ever since it happened, I mean, I, I now realize in hindsight that it's incredibly important and you're putting yourself at some major unnecessary risk by not doing it. And I hope that people can hear my story and learn without having to have the hindsight perspective. So were you in a fraternity house? Yes. Was it pretty common for people not to have bed rails? Or was it just kind of a big room of bunk beds with no bed rails? Bed rails were unheard of on the whole campus, probably in the whole country, honestly. Yeah, no, I just want to say if I was starting college, I would have also just laughed it off. But after hearing your story, um, I kind of feel like having a bed rail is so vital. Um, and just wanting to ask Mary Ellen, um, why do you believe having a rail is so vital? Well, you know, I think uh, as an adult and as a um, Clark kind of joking calls me his helicopter mom, but I think um, I think all moms are a little bit of a helicopter mom because we love our kids. I think that parents and adults are, are more aware of dangerous circumstances than college students are. As much as we think a 18 year old is a quote adult, uh, the brain doesn't even really have the capacity to recognize danger till about 25. It's the development of your prefrontal cortex, and it does not happen until about 25 years old. So when you tell a young college student who's going off to campus for the first time that they need a safety rail, they, much like Clark said, they think, oh, well, I'm not a toddler or I'm not going to fall out of my bed. And of course, no one thinks they're going to fall out of their bed. Clark slept a whole year in the residence hall in an upper bunk and never had a single problem. And I always say, you know, my son didn't fall out of his bed until he did. And tragically, the first time he fell out of his bed, he fell seven feet onto his head and almost died from it. I think that when I see beds without safety rails, I am reminded that I feel like it's the college. It's their product, right? It's not like you're dragging your bed off to college. They are providing a bed. That bed is unsafe, in my humble opinion, and I think anybody that kind of thinks about it for a minute would realize that sleeping six to seven feet off the ground in a narrow bed is probably not the best idea we've come up with. And if a if a forty dollar, fifty dollar, well, maybe even a hundred dollar safety rail can save your life or even prevent serious injury, 
it's certainly worth it. And I think that down the line, I'm hoping that maybe some of these manufacturers will come up with a really cool safety rail. Maybe it's a, a rail that holds a laptop and charges a phone and has a, a nightlight on the bottom where you can see when you're crawling down the steps to go to the bathroom. And they can they could do something to make it safe and cool. And I think a lot of college students would probably, probably be grateful for the extra storage space. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Honestly, if I had money like Shark Tank, I'd invest in that right now. On that topic, when you're a 18-year-old person sleeping in a bed, you don't think about that sort of thing. But in reality, the only difference between you sleeping in a lofted bed and a and a, like a little kid sleeping in a bunk bed is that it takes less turns in your sleep in the wrong direction for you to fall out. Because when you're asleep, you can't consciously think, "Oh, well, I'm not going to roll out." No, you're just doing what your body does in your sleep. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, a, a child in a twin bed. Doesn't take up a lot of space, but you put someone Clark size in a twin bed and yeah, one flip and he's out. Very true. So Mary Ellen, I just wanted to ask, are bunk bed and loft bed falls very common? That's kind of an interesting question because yes, they are common. They're certainly not uncommon. Let's put it that way. When this first happened to Clark, I started doing some research, asking myself that very question and uh, came across a statistic from ER data between the ages of four and 21, there are 71,000 accidents a year bad enough to go to the ER. Now those include things besides falls, you know, slips from ladders, falling between the bed and the wall, but you never seem to see it anywhere. Even when there were serious accidents and death, I found out after Clark's accident that there was a um, young man named Brian Yates that died on the campus of Georgia Tech in 1982 from the exact same kind of fall. He was a football player and he fell from a lofted bed and onto the floor. And unfortunately, there was no one there and he died alone on the floor. Uh, that's horrible. That's horrible. I, I know I'm trying to remember what IU has because my freshman year was COVID and we weren't even allowed to loft beds. It wasn't an option. There was no lofting or bunking beds. And I don't really know if I ever saw anybody who did at least enforce sam i don't know if you know anybody who had a lofted bed if they had bed rails um i know quite a couple people who lofted their beds um i was the year after so luckily a couple covid restrictions were lifted but yeah no i know quite a couple people who lofted their beds just to give them more space in their dorm and almost every time i saw them they did not have the rails on yeah which is just so crazy, which Mary Ellen, you were talking about the story of yet another person on a college campus. Do colleges report this data? And if they don't, why don't they? Well, they don't re report the data mainly because they're not required to. So we're actually working on a U.S. bill right now that's in the in the Congress and the Senate as of last week. It's called the Corey College Safety Act, and we are trying to change that current system where colleges and universities will be required to record and report any accident or incident on campus that causes serious injury or death. And we feel like those numbers are going to point back to things that we can improve in college safety. We feel like injury prevention people and researchers will be able to use the data to to make the campuses safer. And like you guys know from being in college, if it if you don't have data, it didn't happen. My late colleague Nanette Hausman, who helped me form the College Safety Coalition, she used to say we have a, a data desert. 
And that's a good way to describe it. There's a portion of the population, 18 to 25, that we don't have a lot of safety data on. And I think that once we have some of these numbers, we're going to see some changes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I commend you guys for doing that. And I would love to see what good comes from that. That's a really cool idea for just a bill in general. I mean, that'll definitely give a lot of information, just not only on the topic of bunk beds, but everything. I think that's a great idea. So, Mary Ellen, is there anything that we can do to get uh, more involved in the cause? Actually, you can. I'm starting a campaign right now as we speak. We just got the House bill numbers and the Senate bill numbers last week. So I'm putting together some social media to get people to report to their congressmen and their senators to support this bill. And in fact, Nanette Hausman, the woman I mentioned earlier, her literal last wish was that this bill be made law. Her son's name is Corey, and that's who the Corey Safety Act is named for. She said, I don't want people having a memorial service for me. I want people to call their congressman and get this bill passed. So that is something that we feel very strongly about. And to get information on the bill, you can go to see what we're doing with the College Safety Coalition, the collegesafetycoalition.net. If you want to visit our website and find out more about safety real advocacy and and what you can do on your own campus, go to railagainstthedanger.org. Awesome. Also, especially this time of year with students headed back to college, there's a, a, a website called college911.net that was created by Nanette Hausman in honor and memory of her son, Corey. And it has just really great information on there about how you can program your phone. There's a medical safety checklist that shows what can be done for parents and students. There's, In fact, there's two lists. There's a list for parents and a list for students. And it shows you exactly what you can do to make your semester and your year the safest possible. Mary Ellen Clark, thank you guys so much for joining us on our podcast today. It's been really great to have you guys. And this information has been really, really helpful. I'm excited to see what you guys do. Thank you so much, Evan and Sam. We appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us, y'all. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Please stay tuned for new episodes from Safety and Three College Idiots coming soon. Again, my name's Evan. I'm Sam. Have a good one. Safety is brought to you by Rachel's First Week. Executive producer, Dr. Angie Feige. Sound engineer, Ben Vodder. And a very special thanks to American Medical Response, NASCAR, and Healthcare Initiatives for their financial support of this podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter at hashtag Rachel's First Week. Don't forget the A in Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. We want to hear from you, so contact us at rachelsfirstweek.org. Don't forget to subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Safe Teeth.